I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to, to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. All right, our next reading is found in Psalm 22. It says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. For all who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him, all who are mortal, all whose lives end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. Our next reading is found in Romans chapter 4. It says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And when there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by the grace and may guarantee to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. And it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed so because the father of many nations. Just as, as it had been said to him, so shall your offsprings be. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Dan. Uh, that was uh, great. All right, I think, do we have one more reading? Gospel reading? Yes. All right. Oh, keep going, sorry. As it, I read that. All right, here we go. <laughs> Listen, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. Most of it, but not this part, okay? You're doing great. <laughs> Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. 
being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was accredited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness? For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. All right. And one more. Here we go. Our gospel reading is found in Mark chapter 8. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this uh, adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That's it. Amen. Will you give it up for Pastor Harry Schmidt and the word of the Lord? Thank you, Pastor Dan. I'm going to invite my wife Donna to join me here, if you would. Donna, thank you. Uh, last year at this time, this weekend, Donna and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. And we had a wonderful time. And, um, and of course, when I uh, was engaged to Donna, I was pioneering a very small church in Moments. And so when I bought her engagement ring, it was so small, you need a magnifying glass to see the diamond. So for 40 years, as she'd been traveling in the wilderness, I mean, traveling with her husband, um, she's constantly hinted about getting a larger ring. And so I got her a ring, and the largest zirconium that I could find, and it was excellent. Hold it up there, dear. Can, can you see? Now, make sure that the light sees. Oh, awesome. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, I, I also had bought a number of other things for her, but I just thought, anything else I buy, it's going to pale, and she's not even going to give any, any attention. So I bought this, I bought this uh, wood placard, and I bought a, a wedding card, an anniversary card for here, also made out of wood. And, and I thought, if I give it to her now, they're not even going to have any significance. So I thought, I'm going to save them until our 41st uh, anniversary. And I thought, where could I put these? that she wouldn't recognize where they'd be at. So I put them underneath our bed. I mean, who looks under the bed? Who vacuums that far under the bed? So for a year, you've been sleeping on this. Uh, no wonder all these dreams and visitations uh, from the Lord. Now, this one I'm going to have her, uh, Jennifer opened it up last night. Uh, I wanted to get something that I would say to you uh, would be kind of um, a goal for the next 20 years. I really, I really want something that we could always look forward to. And the other one is a personal anniversary card, also made out of wood, and you can open up that afterwards. But it just so happens that what's on this plaque actually becomes the theme of our message. 
as Pastor Darrell asked me to look these passages over, and I selected the story of Abraham, where we're going to be turning to Romans chapter 4. So if you go ahead and do that, Romans 4. Pastor Dan read that with a much more male tone than Leanne. Hers voice would have been much nicer, but uh, we're going to focus on verse 17 through 21. But I want to say, share this with Donna, that over the next X number of decades, I hope this is our goal. So I'm going to ask you, Donna, if you would take this bag off of here, okay? All right. All right. Dream one size too big. Um, can I give you a kiss? Thank you. Love you. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. You see, in Romans chapter 4, which is kind of an extension of Genesis chapter 17, we're talking about a biblical character who was 99. Put that in context. America's pastor just died this week, and he was 99. Now, the story that we're picking up today is about a man who was also dead at 99, but dead in a different way. So I want you to remember as we move through our thought this morning and our lesson for living that, um, that you're never too old to dream. And if you're going to dream, dream one size too big. Because, you see, Abraham only had one desire. He was literally clinging on to life. Why was he clinging on to life? Because he was hoping against hope, the Bible says, that he could have one son, a son. The significance of having a boy to carry on his name and his lineage. Oh, that I might have one son. He wanted a boy. But, you see, God didn't want Abraham to have a son. He wanted Abraham to be the father of many nations. Listen. God wants more for you than you often do for yourself. There's many of you here today who have low life living and vision. And it's, it's understandable with the cultural dynamics we're walking through. Just making it through the day is what we're looking for. But God is not the God who is there to just help you get through the day, although he said he would do that daily bread. While you're looking at the immediate, God is looking at your horizon. So as we begin our lesson for living today, here's the sub-theme. God does not want to pamper our faith, but to perfect it. Now, I have a wonderful daughter with, our, with my wife, Donna. Her name is Jennifer. Many of you know Jennifer. And she's a great gal, but she's the only child. And you know what, what it is with only children. They just think the world was given to them. The world belongs to them. Everything. And it'd be so easy for these last few years for us to pamper her, of which I did. I mean, which you could. God likes to take care of us. 
And God loves us very much. By the way, do you know whose anniversary it is this last week too? Brad and Jenny, shoot, bring back there. Look at Mr. Brad. God loves you, Brad. You look so sad today because I know Jenny's not with you, but congratulations. You were a handsome dude when you got married that day. What happened to you? I'm sorry, yeah. Sorry. You see, as we walk through life, God loves us. He's our father. But he, he doesn't engage with us to pamper us, to just have you just go through life. He wants you to grow and to develop and to become strong in your faith. And so that's what, what he was doing with Abraham. That's what he wants you and I to know. He wants you and I to grow in our faith. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says that God calls into being that which does not exist. I want somebody here to believe today that God wants to create something in your life and God wants to develop a vision in you that's never been experienced in your life before. That God wants to call into your life and into your, your joy and into your being something that you don't see now. It isn't there. But can you believe God can do it for you? Amen? Now listen, you've got to do better than that. For the last three years I've been pastoring a black church and they know how to talk during a sermon. Thank you. Do you really believe that God can give you something that's not there right now? Amen? Amen, absolutely. And look at verse number 18. It says, In hope against hope, Abraham believed that he might become dot, 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 a father. Now you take that. Somebody today here needs to hear God say to you, in hope against hope, God wants you to know that you can become dot, dot, dot. What would you like to become? What would you like to experience yet in life? Maybe you're here as a teenager. You can have some explosive, dynamic vision that will lie ahead of you. All you have to do is believe that you can become dot, dot, dot. You might be 99 and say, I don't know, maybe I'm like Lars Svensson. I'm about to turn 90. I've been all over Central America building churches. And I would say to Lars, dot, dot, dot. There might be some more dreams in that package of yours. Amen. But now let's look at this. Look with me at verse 19, 20, and 21, and let's talk about this journey of faith. Because when he heard that God was going to give him a son, and not only would he have a son, but he would have sons upon sons upon sons upon sons as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Listen, how do you handle that? Look at verse number 19, first of all, and look at our first point. God encouraged him, first of all, not to weaken in faith. Don't let your faith weaken. Now, notice what, what it says about him in, in verse 21. It says, he contemplated his own body. Listen, guys, the thing that you won't want to do when you're 99 is get up in the morning and stand in front of the mirror and say, oh, you handsome hunk. Ain't going to happen. He recognized as he looked at his body, he says, the Bible says, he realized he was dead. And then secondly, he said, and his wife's womb was dead. All of us calculate our life, don't we? We all do our own self-assessments. 
we all try to understand what our limitations are. And we have them. I have limitations. You have them as well. There are things that people project on you and I that if we allow that projection to become a seed that's growing in our soul, we won't believe we can ever do anything. So yes, we have to understand and we have to contemplate what our challenges are. But look at my thought for you. Don't allow your circumstances to determine your understanding of God's capability. Don't allow your circumstances to determine your understanding of God's capability. He is more than capable to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or think. So yes, take, take an assessment. Look your life over. But remember, your faith isn't in you. Your faith is in God. Hallelujah. My faith is in God. So don't let your faith weaken. Don't let what you do not have dim your understanding of what God does have. Looking at verse number 20, it goes on to say this, if you would. Yet with respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but instead grew stronger and giving glory to God. Don't weaken in your faith. Secondly, verse 20 tells us, do not waver in your faith. What does that mean? Don't get distracted. All of us are always going to be given lots of options in life. We're all going to be given alternatives. One of those alternatives is not to do anything. Another alternative is just to give up when it seems like it's a little bit more difficult. But remember, that's where faith comes in. God doesn't give you faith to pamper your faith and say, okay, it's okay, it's okay. No, no. God says, you're going to grow in your faith. You're going to learn in this. I'm going to help develop you. And instead of weakening, you're going to get stronger. And instead of wavering, you're going to do exactly the two things that Abraham did. Look at verse number 20. It says, the things that he faced only helped him get stronger in his faith. Hallelujah. I know I have great faith today. At my age of 68, I've got a whole lot of great faith. But I had great faith when I accepted Christ when I was 12. And I know I'm going to have good faith. Should the Lord allow me to live to 99? I believe I'm going to have. Why not have growing faith? Why not allow our spirit to get stronger as we mature? Why not allow that, that spirit to begin when you're 12 and 14? Did you see our, our young people up there? They were having fun. But you just see how they were engaged in studying and they were engaged in singing and engaged in a lot of community things? Whatever our young people and our children are being taught today can springboard them in their life of faith forever. Our teenagers at Ascension Convention... Your getting a little spaghetti today is going to help a teenager come to grips with the knowledge that God loves them. And you're going to encourage our young people to go to the Ascension Convention. And who knows, one of those could be the next Abraham of faith. Amen? You don't have to wait until you're nine to be an Abraham. Why not start now? Believe the Lord. But then, what happens as you begin to walk in faith? Sure. Sure, you, you, things get a little destabilized sometimes. And sure, sometimes you ask questions and you, you question yourself. You question, did I actually hear the voice of God? 
I mean, could, I mean, is it really, could God really be? What? I mean, what if, it, what if somebody thinks I'm presumptuous? What if they feel like I've got an attitude? Better you have a God attitude than a bad attitude, amen? I want to have a God attitude. That God attitude says, I can, in God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do it. Some of you need to go back to school and you're, you're 35. Some of you need to finish that degree. Some of you feel like you ought to be able to maybe take on one of these short-term mission trips. Some of you feel like maybe getting engaged in prison ministries or getting engaged with iron sharpens iron. Get in, dig in, give your life up to God and enjoy what God can do for you. So at this moment in your life, don't waver, get stronger. Don't waver. What did he do secondly in verse number 20? He was able to give God glory. Uh, we have a grandfather here. His name is Chris McClure. I see him today. He was holding that little grandbaby. Oh, uh, when that little grandbaby. Does, is, is he playing ice hockey yet? No, not yet. I saw you holding him up. But I tell you one of these days, does he walk yet? Does he walk yet? No, but, me, but, but, but you really don't want your, your, your son and daughter to be the first one to see him take that first step. You want to see him, the, and you want to be able to say, he took his first step. No, he's going to fall. Let the boy fall. Is it a boy? <laughs> Let the boy, I haven't been around. Let the boy fall. But is that boy going to stay down? No, that boy's going to get back up. Is he going to waver? Oh, just a little bit. Going to get a little rug burn. Yeah, it's okay. But he's going to get back up. He's going to walk. And you know, once granddad and grandma and mom and dad see him get back up, what are they going to do? Yay! You see, when you and I, instead of wavering and waffling in our faith, yeah, we're going to fail. Have I failed? Yeah. Have I not listened always closely? Yes. Is some of my actions sometimes faltering? Yes. But when I get back up and I keep going, that spirit of keeping going actually brings praise to God because God says, that's my boy. That's my girl. They're not backing up. They're going forward. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. They're going forward. Verse number 21 then says, don't weaken you in your faith. Don't waver in your faith. But he basically says, Walk in your faith. Notice here in verse 21, being fully assured that God will do what he has promised and he was able to form, he, he began and continued walking in faith. Walk your faith out. Walk your faith through. Just keep walking. You see, it all started in the first verse. Go back to Genesis chapter 17, Verse number one, and you're going to be able to hear where it says all of a sudden God began to appear to Abraham, and the Bible says when Abraham recognized it was God, he fell to his face, and the next words were, and God talked to Abraham. God does talk to you and I through his word, through our thoughts, through the indescribable, undefinable, un, uh, unable to actually express, but you know he talks to your soul. He begins to speak into your spirit. 
Certainly, most likely, most of the time, not an audible voice, but don't put that past you being able to hear God who can speak an audible voice. But once God spoke, Abraham began to listen. We say, when E.F. Hutton speaks, you listen. I'd rather listen to God. So he got up and began to listen to God and began to walk, listen to this, he began to walk not his words out, but he began to walk God's words out. That's all you need to do. Listen to what God says. Trust him at the level that your hearing is at the moment. And your hearing, listen to me, tell me this. Sometimes you think when, when you be, get to know God and you get to listen to his voice, that his voice gets easier to listen to. Actually, I think as you get a little bit older in your maturity and faith, it gets a little bit hard because God wants you to lean in. He doesn't want to take the voice of God for granted. He doesn't want you to become so familiar with the voice of God that you begin to confuse his voice for your voice. He wants you to become very close in your listening to his voice. And then I want to tell you, you can walk it out. Why? Because verse 21 says this, he was fully assured. Fully assured. I'm trying to buy, I'm trying to buy some insurance so that when I die, Jen's got enough money to do something with me. Uh, you know. But I find that the older you get, the more you pay. So I've decided I'm not going to get it. She'll just have to deal with me when it's done. <laughs> because you see, I mean, who can afford insurance? And who needs it when you've got heavenly assurance? Amen? He was fully what? Assured. When you have the assurance that you know, that you know, that you know inside, it's going to be okay. Secondly, not only was he fully assured, because he was fully assured what? Because of what God promised. I can't figure it out. Certainly he couldn't figure it out. 99 years of age, saying that he's not only going to have a son, he's going to have nations. The best thing you're going to do is not to try to figure it out. Embrace the one who spoke the word. Embrace that one who spoke the word and let God work out. If you can trust the voice, the voice will work out the details of your life. Trust in the Lord. Trust His promises. The last phrase of verse 21, that He was totally able to perform His word. So, Let's look at our concluding thoughts. Three things I'd like to share with you. Just, just little thoughts that come to my mind. God's design for you always fits you and always brings a blessing to others. You see, we have so many, I see so many young people here today. God's got a unique design for every one of the young people here. Different one for Matthew, different one for his cousins, Different one for his brother. Thank God for his brothers. They, they need something different than Matthew. They, they are so far behind him. I mean, anyway, don't tell that to Luke. And, and uh, anyway, just, just because Luke is taller, he thinks he's something. He's, he's, look at where he's at. He's with the kids. You're with the adults today. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fact that God's got a design for each of us. It fits you. But it's never only about you. He gives a design and a vision and a dream for you to not only impart something to you and to better you and to grow you and all those things, but to what? So that through you, 
what he does through you is going to bring a blessing to others. Secondly, look at this. God's not upset because of your audacity, but your silence. Be bold in God. In fact, get a little brash. Be audacious in your thinking. Ask God for big things. Ask Him for your entire family to come to Christ. Ask for that right person to join your life. Ask Him to help you with your undergrad or your grad degree. Ask Him for more than what you're thinking. Be audacious in your asking. Because He's not bothered by your audacity. He's bothered by your silence. When you don't speak and you don't share with Him your dreams and your desires, that bothers Him. He wants to hear your heart. Dream one size too big. And then lastly, of course, here's the question. What dreams does God want you to father? This church used to be in a little white building in Des Plaines, very little, one of those cute little things you buy at Christmas time, and you put a candle in it, and, and it's that little white church, and it's so cute, and yeah... Pastor Merrill and Jerry were there in that cutesy little white church. There they were, black hair like he was, and he was so cute. But we wouldn't be there today. You wouldn't have fit. So we went from that little white church to another place over here in Longquist, and now we're here. But we're not just here because we used to be in the gym, but now we're here. Now we got the gym for our kids and for what? Our spaghetti. Yeah. Thank God. What are your dreams? I am 68. I can't begin to tell you I've got some dreams. I think slowing down at 88 just fits me well. I believe God's got a good active 20-year plan ahead of me. And I believe I'm going to be more active and go more places and see more people impacted because God wants to impact people. And I believe he wants to use you. Now, in November of 1934, in Charlotte, North Carolina, a Christian businessman had a dream. And so he used some of his money to rent a building. True story. And he gathered a number of Christians together, and this was their overriding prayer. God, raise up somebody who could bring the word to the nations. Men who gather here on Saturday morning, keep gathering, keep praying. Keep asking God. Women who gather together as women in Bible studies and so forth ask God for big things. So was that businessman the Abraham of his day? Who had put some of his own money into buying and renting a building, I should say, so that people could gather and say, God, could you raise up somebody who could cause the nation? 
May of 1934. November of 1934, a very young 33-year-old hotshot evangelist who was just getting into the circuit, kind of like a Dan Cyprian, kind of just wild and wants to charge you 180 bucks if you're bad to come to Ascension. <laughs> a young guy by the name of Mordecai Ham, 33, born in 1901, feels the call of God to be an itinerant evangelist, and he was crazy and wild and just fiery. He comes into Charlotte, North Carolina, in May they're praying, in November, he shows up in a small building and holds a revival. A young 16-year-old young man comes to the altar and receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior that night by the name of Billy Graham. Who's the Abraham? Is it the businessman who rented the building to pray and ask God for a son? Is it Mordecai Ham who believed, oh God, as I preach, let there be sons and daughters one to Christ? So in November of 1934, Billy Graham receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Ultimately, of course, comes over here to Wheaton College, meets a wonderful girl by the name of Ruth, and they get married. Many of you know the story. In 1954, he's out in Los Angeles in a tent trying his best to launch his ministry. The most powerful newspaper magnet of the world hears him. His name was William Randolph Hearst. And Hearst sends a two-word notice to all of his editors of all of his magazines around the world, newspapers, Puff Graham. And with that, coverage is given to Billy Graham all over the place. The rest is history. Billy Graham preaches in 185 nations. 215 million people see him face to face. Who's the Abraham? Is it Billy Graham? Sure. Is it Mordecai Ham? Sure. Is it the Christian businessman? Sure. Do you know that since Billy Graham retired and they've been running his black and white films of the Crusades, and you could see them every weekend. More people have come to Christ watching the films of the Crusades than ever accepted Christ during the actual Crusade. 1962, a little kid in Iowa by the name of Harry receives Christ as his Lord and Savior in a one-car garage. One-car garage. Donna was there. She actually led me to the Lord. I began to love God, and the first two books I read was Fox's Book of Martyrs. I read it three times because I wanted to read how bad Christians had it and how they were killed. And I thought, I better really know what I'm into. And then to counter that, I read the book by Billy Graham, his first one called Peace with God. I entered public speaking competitions, and I mastered at oratorical declamations, and I, I memorized three to four chapters of Billy Graham's book, Peace with God. 
And I traveled all over the nation, University of Iowa, Augustana University, Cole College, all over in oratorical declamations where you, would, where you would speak word for word the person's speech and you would try to act like he. So I acted like Billy Graham. Uh -huh. The Bible said, no, that's Pastor Merrill. Uh, anyway. Later on, I went on to be a counselor in one of Billy Graham's crusades. I, I just loved him to say, the Bible says. When I became a uh, freshman, there was this essay contest that you could only enter when you were a junior in the state of Iowa. And the winner of that contest would, would be honored by being, by being hosted by the President of the United States. So when I was a freshman, I prayed. I honestly can tell you, I asked God. I met with Pastor Ravel, my pastor, and I gave him my desires, and he prayed for me, do it. He'd say, do it, write it, write it. But I said, I can't, I gotta wait a couple years. You can't enter it until you're junior. I waited and I prayed and I waited and I prayed, and I wrote that essay. And do you know who won in the state of Iowa? Humbly, I state to you, I flew from Des Moines to Washington, D.C., and I was a guest of Lyndon Baines Johnson for a whole week. Got to meet J. Edgar Hoover. Got to have breakfast with Ted Kennedy. Had the opportunity of being hosted all around. And as I was with the president... A courier came in. It was the start of the Israeli Six-Day War in 1967 in June. A courier came in, handed a message, and, and President Johnson said, Oh, a friend of mine just happened to stop by. I think you'd like to meet him. Come on in, Billy. And in came Billy Graham. Forget the president. <laughs> Forget the president. Many years later, just when I became the president of our college, I was attending a large meeting in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Billy Graham was going to preach his, the last large coliseum arena, football arena type thing with thousands of people. And I was bent to get there. I wanted to get there ahead of time. I just wanted to see it first. And so I had the registration badge of the conference. It was an accreditation conference for Bible colleges. And I, I, I had my notebook that had Christian Life Ministries on it, and I rented a car, and I went out to the stadium. It was going to begin that night, but I wanted to get out there and pray. They had two guards at the entrance. So I took, my, I, I took the notebook and turned it upside down, and I took my badge, and I put it upside down, and I walked up to them, and I said, Sirs, I'm here to inspect the grounds. And they let me in. They let me in. I climbed the steps, and I could not believe who did I run into but Franklin Graham. Walking all over the stadium, praying for his daddy. That his daddy's sermon would meet the needs. I came back that night, and I have to tell you honestly, 
I don't care how many times I've heard it just as I am without one plea. Even though I accepted the Lord when I was 12, every time I hear that, it's like, Lord, I want to renew myself in you. See, God wants you to begin just as you are. He wants to do other things in your life. Even if you've walked in God for five years or 20 years, every day ought to be a new day. Every day ought to be another day when you say, Lord, I accept you, and I want to dream one size too big, but you got to take me as I am. That's what he wants to. He wants to take you as you are, where you are, how you are. So that night, quite candidly, when they began singing, that 200-voice choir began singing, just as I am, I shot down there. And it was ugly. I apologized to the Lord later, but I thought I'm going to get to the front of the line. I want, I, want, I, I want him to spit on me, oh God. And I made my way. And I'll never forget, I'm standing there, and two teenagers with Bibles put their hands on my shoulders and said, Lord, as this man comes to accept you as Lord and Savior, they didn't know I had been down that aisle before. I didn't want to tell them, spoil their opportunity of using me as one of the numbers that brought them to heaven, right? And I let them pray over me. There's Dr. Graham. So today we're going to conclude by singing that one wonderful song, Just As I Am. And before we go and have some sauce of the red kind, <laughs> I want you to come before God just as you are. I want, you to, I want you, whether you're 5 or 25 or 15 or 90, say, God, I want to live out faith until faith takes me home. Leanne's going to come. Would you stand with me? And I'm not George Beverly Shea. I'm not Cliff Barrels, who led the choir. I am nobody like just but you. And I'd like for us to all sing You've got to hear one another sing. You've got to say the words because the words that you sing will become seeds into your soul. Amen? Who's the Abraham? Who's the one here that's going to give birth to many sons? Who might that person be? Let's, uh, let's begin to play this one. You're going to see different crusade venues as, as we begin singing together. Thank you, Leanne.
bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to not just die for us, but to rise again so that we may all have eternal life. Father, this morning, we're so grateful for reminding us of the gospel, reminding us that you have a plan for each and every one of our lives. God, thank you for bringing Pastor Harry here to remind us through your word that there are many fathers in here of nations. You, there are many visions that you want to give each and every one of us to lead. God, you have a plan, and this morning I pray that before we leave here that we will all accept you as our Lord and Savior As you have your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask if there's anyone here that may not know Jesus. This morning, this may be the first time, or maybe, maybe you said a prayer as a child, and um, there's been a lot of things that have happened between then and now, and this morning, you just want to make things right with God. If that's you this morning, if you want to accept Christ, will you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to do anything, but this morning is, there's no more better appropriate time. Maybe you're standing here this morning, you're sitting, and you've known Jesus. And this morning, you just want to rededicate yourself. Maybe you just want to say, God, thank you for speaking to me this morning and reminding me that you have a plan. And God, I want to commit to you today as I move forward in life, God, I want to fulfill the plan you have. I want you to give me a vision. If that's you, if you know Christ and you want to live for him and fulfill the plan and the calling he has for your life, will you just slip your hand up right now all over this place? I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for every person here that raised their hand, that want to know you. God, I pray that you will... Just continue to reveal yourself to them. God, thank you that you love them so much. I pray that you will wrap your arms around them and love them. And God, as they accept you this morning, God, I, I know that because of your cross, you have forgiven their sins and, and you have come into their heart. God, I pray for every person here that have raised their hand, or maybe they didn't physically raise their hand, but they're definitely, their hearts are rising right now to say, we want to, I want to commit to you, I want to recommit to you. I pray for them right now. God, I pray that as they go home or wherever they go, the, the, as they wake up tomorrow morning and go to work or wherever they have plans this week, God, I pray that you will show them the plan that you have for them, the vision that you have for them. God, you... You have far greater things in store for each and every one of us than we could ever ask or imagine. And I pray this week that you will not just speak to us, but speak through us in the lives that we encounter this week. God, we give you all the glory. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your love, grace, and mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you receive that this morning?